0: We have been in a s- series called Greatest Hits. We're in Matthew 7 today. If you've got your Bibles, however you access those, uh, we'll be looking at it. If you're not familiar, with looking up Scripture. Most of the Scriptures will be on the screen behind me today as well. And we've been going through this greatest teachings of Jesus, one of these really monumental times where Jesus sat down, taught people, and really laid a framework and a pathway for what it was to follow Him, what it meant to walk in His footsteps and it starts off Matthew 5 with this idea that he just didn't hold a rally he wasn't just getting them to cheer and get all excited or even just perform these many miracles he actually sat them down and taught them he taught the multitudes and it was a beautiful picture of how Jesus shows us how his ministry will multiply it multiplies through teaching through teachings like this from a someone standing in front of a crowd from teachings in small groups where we learn and continue to dive into Scripture, from teachings like Jared and Elliot that come together one-on-one in group situations and places all around this city. Teaching is what often multiplies the, the, the impact of the gospel. And we've been looking at this teaching and how it just gets played over and over again and gets impacted in our lives day in and day out. And one of the beauties of this series that I've been enjoying is finding a hit song that goes with uh, the teaching every week. And so we have had some great ones. I Many of you have been saying, Where's the Greatest of All Times? And this is right here, 1956, Elvis, his number one hit, actually. If you can't come around. Bum, bum, at least please bum, tell the phone Don't be cruel who hard it's true Baby, All right, that's bum, enough of else, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? quick trivia question. Anybody know what was on the flip side of that album? Dan? <laughs> 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 Dan always kno- uh, No, Hound Dog. Hound Dog was on the opposite side, but this was actually the uh, the best... Uh, seller on that. And I picked this song because, uh, I mean, if you, if you know the lyrics of this song, undoubtedly Elvis had messed up in this relationship. Something had happened. He was having to come back for forgiveness to get back in the good graces of whoever he was singing this to. And he's like, look, I'm vulnerable. I know I was the one that was in the wrong, so just don't be cruel. Like, don't make it hurt any worse than it can. Like, I will do whatever I can to restore this relationship. And the truth is, sometimes We think this is how we have to approach God as well. We mess up. We do something wrong, and we have to approach him and say, God, just, you know, please let me back in your good graces, but don't hurt me too much as I try to come back in. And today we're going to look at how we actually need to get that view out of our minds, that that is not who God is. He's not this cruel God up there just waiting for a day to twist the screws on us, to hit us with a lightning bolt and to to knock us out, even though we've messed up and we're trying to get back into his good graces. And so what we're going to see today in this couple final sections of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus shifts from talking about how we engage with him how we start to follow him, all these things of dealing with our brokenness or corruption on the inside our our wanting to compare with everybody else on the outside, all these circumstances in our life. He moves us from this internal transformation that happens in us to say that there are now going to be external implications. There's going to be things that happen outside of your life, things the way you approach other people, the way that you view other people. And this is the nature of what it means to follow Christ. His teachings are not designed to be terminated on us and used up on ourselves. They transform who we are so that then we can, in turn, go transform the environment around us. It boils down to this. We are made better to then show a better way to other people. We are healed to then bring healing to those around us. We experience peace in our souls so that then we can go be peacemakers in every situation we find ourselves in. Following Jesus has never been and will never be about following him into some isolated place so that I can just hide and soak up all his goodness for myself. Following Jesus is about taking his grace, his peace, his mercy, and his forgiveness into places that have not experienced it yet, into relationships where it is not evident yet. And sometimes that takes us to dark and difficult places. But the truth is we have an incredible opportunity to bring hope, joy and freedom to people that are in desperate need of such things. But yet, if you ask people, is that what Christianity is doing? Is that what Christianity is about? Is that how you would describe Christians? They would probably say no. Why is that? Because the truth is, very often we aren't reflecting to people and to our culture the things that Christ first poured into us. We are not being an accurate reflection of Christ. And when we don't reflect Christ properly, here's what we do. We end up distorting the gospel, twisting the gospel. We turn it into something that it was never supposed to be. We start to use the gospel as a weapon of domination instead of an instrument of peace. We use the name of Jesus to start wars, to enslave people, to gain and maintain power, to often marginalize segments of our society and to elevate our desires and create a world of exclusion instead of one of inclusion. And that's not Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's not what he was teaching and that's not what he called us to. And this is what this teaching in the part of the Sermon on the Mount really pushes back on. It doesn't just for us today, but he was doing it in that day as well. He was... Taking a look at the religious practices and exposing religious practices that elevated man and distorted God, that used the name of God to rationalize and justify behaviors that were anything but godly and holy, and so we're going to see three things today: three misconceptions and misrepresentations that we can fall trap to that distort the gospel when we try to show it to other people, and in doing so. We, st- we don't just distort the gospel, but it brings about destruction and pain where we should be bringing hope and healing. The first misrepresentation we're going to look at today is in Matthew 7, and it's this misrepresentation of judgment, judgment. Now, I can imagine at this point in the teaching, people have been sitting there hearing Jesus teach, laying out all of these ideas of what it meant to follow him, to set aside anxiety, to let that, you know, setting aside anxiety become an outcome in your life, to, to deal with you know, the inner stuff and let it, let it be exposed to his healing nature. And I can imagine there may have been some people sitting there getting a little confident and prideful and going, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do this. But I know some people who aren't here today who need to do this as well. And we start having this idea of this isn't just something I need to worry about But we start to drift and look at others. And Jesus kind of sensing that immediately hits on. it, And he says, Matthew seven, verse one, he says this, judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I mean it is like he read the heart of those people and immediately said, Look, I know what you're thinking. Like I'm gonna get better at this, but I've got this list of people that they need to hear this as well. They've got to change what's going on. He said, Nope, let's not judge. And here's the first misconception that we have to make sure is not true in our life. Here's a misconception that God's primary nature is judgment. Instead of grace Judgment instead of grace Why is it that we, we see something wrong in our lives First Our first reaction is not to deal with our own shortcomings But instead to look for brokenness in everyone else As soon as we Understand a brokenness in ours Instead of dealing it We start looking for somebody who's more broken than me Somebody who's worse than I am So that I can at least comparatively Make myself feel better And we start to judge them on their brokenness Instead of dealing with our own and I think we do this because we have a misunderstanding of the primary nature of God. In our minds, God's number one job is to judge us, to look at us, to see where we're deficient, to see where we're lacking and broken. He sees the worst of us, judges those areas that instead of seeing the best of us, even when we do good, he gives us a pat on the back and then he points out the other areas that we were short in. We have this idea that God is out to get us. He's never pleased with us. And we're always trying to please him in coming up short. I want you to hear clearly this morning, this is not who God is. But this is often how we don't only believe about him, but how we portray him to others. We can be guilty of this as parents, as spouses, as friends, co-workers, and even within our own faith family. We look at other people and we become experts in identifying their shortcomings in their life. We can see their pride, their bitterness, their anger. Their lack of integrity, their lack of commitment, we look at them and start to judge them the way that we think God judges us and here 's what we start to do: we start to withhold grace and then expect perfection i don 't know if I, I know i've been guilty of this as a parent i 've been guilty of this in my relationship with my wife i 've been guilty of it in friendships where I am expecting more people than I am even living up to my own self because I view if, I, if God is judging me, it 's my job to judge other people and when we think that is his number one priority we start to see good moments in people's lives as aberration instead of the normal deficient nature that they have and we become consumed with the speck in their eye than actually dealing with what is in our eye what is in our life and i want to show you instead what it should be an accurate portrayal and it's this that when we see brokenness in somebody else's life it should be a reminder of the remedy of grace Instead of the need of judgment. Now that's a huge shift for some of us. Because when we see brokenness in other people's lives. It's just like he said in the scripture. We see a speck in somebody else's eyes. We forget about the log in our own eyes. And reminding the log in our eyes reminds us of this. It reminds us how desperate we were for grace. How much we needed grace to remedy our situation. And when we see brokenness in somebody's life. Our first thought should not be the thought to judge them. That is not God's first thought when he sees you and your brokenness. When he sees you and your brokenness, his first thought is grace and how he can come in and redeem and restore. But we often judge others because we have forgotten our desperate position. We have feasted on grace and then forgotten how much we were in need of it to begin with. Why do we do this? I think there's a couple reasons. One, we like having the moral authority. We like acting like we have authority. We, we're the ones who have it all together. I know. And also, we like dealing with other people's sin rather than our own. It's much easier to talk about somebody else's shortcomings than it is my shortcomings. I mean, I, I'll joke about mine, but I mean, I'll talk about yours. I mean, it's like we, we get so caught up in focusing on that. We love to deal with other people's and it hides our attention, takes our attention away from us. And then for some reason, we like to determine. We think we have the right to determine who is worthy Of grace, Who gets worthy of God's forgiveness? Who gets worthy of access to God's grace? When we do this, we treat grace like a commodity, like something that can be bought and sold, something that somebody must pay for and establish. And verse 2 tells us there when we do that, we actually are turning grace back into judgment upon ourselves, condemnation upon ourselves because we're really telling God we don't understand the grace that you poured out on us. And God never wants us to experience that. The crazy part of this passage right here, he throws in verse 6, which is kind of weird. We throw verse 6 back up there. He says, he says, don't judge. And then he throws this, don't give to dogs what is holy. And don't throw to your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I've heard this taught a lot of different ways. And oftentimes it's just kind of pulled out of context. And it's often said, like, you know, people aren't open to the gospel. Just walk away. Don't even talk to them. And I don't think that's at all what this is saying in this context. In the context, I think what Jesus is telling us is, don't waste the grace that has been poured into your life. Dogs and pigs at that time were some of the worst animals around. This was before the days of household pets and bacon, right? I mean, it made these, these animals very valuable to us. But like, they didn't have domesticated dogs. They were like feral dogs walk, going around everywhere, feeding on scraps, whatever they could get a hold of. Pigs were considered the most unclean animal. They got the waste. They got the leftovers. And what Jesus is saying very clearly is here don't treat grace like table scraps. Don't just throw them out to the dogs. What, what you have left over, don't just throw it out meaningless and worthless. And don't put it in front of the most unclean thing that there is, your most valuable possession, the thing that has made the most impact in your life treat it not like table scraps, not like leftovers that you leave in the fridge and forget are there and then you have to throw it out the next week. Instead, treat it like this beautiful masterpiece, this beautiful banquet that you got that you get to invite people to. Don't treat God's grace like table scraps. Instead, don't perpetuate this faulty idea that God is primarily about judging us and instead start showing God's overwhelming grace to ourselves and to others. There's a second misrepresentation that he hits here, and it's this idea of the hostility of God, that God is hostile toward us. Jesus quickly moves to this when he's saying, you know, it's prevalent to to think about God judging us, and if he judges us, guess what? He's going to find us lacking and wanting, and because of that, he's going to be hostile toward us. He's going to be angry at us, and to get back in his good graces, it's going to cost us something. There is something you have to do to get back into god's graces and he answers this question right away verse 7 he starts to say this ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for anyone who asks receive and anyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened or which of you if you have a son ask who asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him so here's our second misconception is that we think god's primary nature is hostility instead of generosity instead of generosity i know that i often view god as somebody i have to appease somebody i have to make things right with somebody i have to make something up to especially if i view him as judge first and I'm kind of constantly feel like he is hostile toward me. And any time I sin, that I'm going to have to get back in his good graces, it's going to cost me and it's probably going to cost me a lot. But this isn't what Jesus says here. Instead, he's laid out a beautiful picture of who God is and how we approach him. You see what he says here? Look, if you need something, ask. If you're seeking after something, you'll find it knock if you want to have connectivity with God if you want the door open just knock and come in the doors already open it's it's like when you knock in the door and somebody's already opened the door and they're like come on in come on in you just feel comfortable this is what Jesus is saying our relationship with it like is with the Lord here when you need something the doors open ask come in all that God has is available to you There are no hurdles that we have to jump over to get to God and the good things that he wants for us. God has not set up some elaborate spiritual obstacle course that we have to navigate in in the hopes that one day we will experience his generosity and win the prize at the end of the maze. Right out of college, I worked at, some of you know this, I have, have a degree in TV film production. I worked at Nickelodeon right out of college. And one of the shows I got to work on was Legends of the Hidden Temple. Is anybody old enough to remember that show, Olmec, like the thing? They were like the temple guards. Well, when we weren't filming, we would go and run the maze and we kind of thought we knew where all the traps were and stuff like that, but we would always, you know, half of the crew would, like, be running the maze. Half the crews would be operating the traps, and it was crazy. As you were running, I mean, it was this crazy obstacle course, and you'd be so close to the prize, and then the floor would drop out from under you, or something would come and knock you over and completely knock you out of the maze. Like, rarely, if people wanted to not let you get there, could you get there. I mean, it was a way that we just had fun with each other. And I think we view God and chasing after the generosity of God like this. Like I can get so close, but then if I mess up once, I'm knocked out. I'm hit. The floor's going to drop out from under me. I can never get to the true generous nature of God because he's really, in the grand scheme of things, I can never please him because of my sin and he'll always be hostile toward me. And we make the same mistake in our own lives and how we communicate God to other people. But instead of breaking down barriers that God has already broke down every barrier that has separated us from, we start to erect new barriers. We start to create obstacles using guilt, isolation, indoctrination, behavior modification to create ways to try to get people to the idea that we have to make ourselves pleasing to God for him to love us and accept us. And we really love to do this when we feel like we finally made it to the other side. When we would run that maze, like if you could ever make it to the other side and make it, you became like the captain of the other team, trying to keep people from getting there. And sometimes we do that in our Christian life. We're like, man, I have finally figured out God, but I'm going to make you run the same path I did. I'm going to make sure it's just as painful for you. And we remove the generous nature of God. But what I want you to see here is this accurate portrayal is this. When we see an openness to the gospel, in somebody else's lives, it should be a reminder of the generous and inviting nature of God, not of hostility and animosity. When we see somebody who has been far away from God for a long time start to have an openness toward the gospel, we should be as, we should be escorting them to the front of the line instead of creating obstacles and traps for them to try to get over to get to God. This is the beautiful picture that Jesus lays out here when he says, If you have a son and he asks for bread, would you give him stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? People in that day would have immediately known what he was talking about. It says people, tricksters or frauds, would come to market and in their bread basket that they brought to sell, they would take these stones that look like bread loaves and hide them in with the other bread. And so when they would put them on the scales, they were basically cheating and, and frauding people and getting more money. They would do the same thing with there were these sea serpents. Uh, When they would go fishing, they were completely unedible, but they looked very much like some of the same fish that they would catch out of the Sea of Galilee. And so they would mix them in with the good fish, even though they were unedible and they were cheating people. And what Jesus is saying here very clearly is this. God isn't out to trick us or to cheat you. He isn't gaming the system or rigging it to work against us. Instead, he has broken down every barrier. He has exposed every lie and made the path so clean and clear that all we have to do is ask, seek, and knock. And the generous nature of God and the goodness of all his riches is opened to us. Stop creating barriers to God. Stop treating, stop cheating and tricking people out of God's generous nature by using guilt and manipulation. God is not hostile toward us. He isn't at odds with his creation. Instead, he has made a way for everyone to experience salvation and hope through the payment of Christ. God does not want evil for you. He isn't coming to give you a stone or a serpent. He has the real thing for you. Just ask, seek, and knock. The third and final misconception we'll hit this morning is in Matthew seven twelve through 14 It's this idea of God as a vengeful God, that he is full of vengeance. He's not just judging it. He's not just hostile. But now he's actually working against us. He is planning demise for us. And he wants evil in our life. He's vengeful. He's paying us back. And Jesus knocks us out very quickly in verse 12. He says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and prophets. We've known this as the golden rule many of us have grown up and then verse 13 says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction for those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are true are are few the misrepresentation i want to see here is this that we often misrepresent that god's primary nature is vengeance instead of forgiveness verse 12 this golden rule it says it sums up the law and the prophets which basically what Jesus is telling the people of Israel in that moment, what the law and the prophets were to the people were the revealed character and nature of God. He says, if you want to understand the true nature of God, listen to this. Whatever you would want done to you, do to others. When you are in need of mercy, show mercy. When you are in need of forgiveness, what do you want to be treated? With forgiveness. When you're in need of help, what do you need most? Help. Help. When you are in need of hope, what would you like to have? You want somebody to bring hope to you. Jesus is telling you this, at our most very vulnerable moments, God is willing to forgive and restore us instead of bringing more harm and hurt. He doesn't see us broken and hurt in a very vulnerable position and just kick us while we're down and rub it in. Instead, he brings help. What you want most at that point, he is there to give you hear this clearly. God is not out to get you. He is out to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you. But we can often get confused. And instead of treating other people the way we want to be treated, we treat other people the way we were treated. Instead of what we would want, we start just repaying evil with evil. So when I was oppressed, guess what? When I have ability to oppress others, I impress, I oppress them plus more. When I experienced evil, I repay with evil plus more. When I, was, when I experienced hostility, I respond with hostility plus. The opposite of the golden rule is not doing nothing. It's doing not what you wish somebody would have done, but what they did to you, you repay evil with evil. That's the wide gate. He said, anybody can do that. But that pathway leads to one place. It leads to destruction. When we were playing evil with evil, we just have this cycle going over and over and over in our lives, and it leads to one place, destruction. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it in relationships. Repaying evil with evil, hurt for hurt, never brings healing, never stops the cycle. But it's the narrow gate, the narrow gate that few find, and is difficult to stop paying evil with evil and instead pay, repay evil with good, evil with kindness, evil with what you would need it in that situation. And this is the the accurate portrayal. When we experience wickedness from others' lives, it should be a reminder of the forgiving and healing nature of God instead of revenge and repayment. You and I have a choice to make. We can walk the wide gate and perpetuate pain and destruction, or we can walk the narrow gate and become destroyers of destruction. We can end the cycle, eliminate pain we can become purveyors of peace one way destruction the other way life a question for you today as we close is this which god are you representing which one this god that we create in our own image or the one that god has shown us and we are being made into his image this teaching should be a stop sign for us for a moment those of us who are followers of christ A moment to stop and consider where we have been and where we are going. But before we proceed, ask yourself, what image of God am I portraying to the world? When I say I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, I believe in the God of the Bible who creates us and sustains us. When I put on that to our culture and to our world, then what am I portraying? Am I portraying the God made in my image of a judgmental, hostile, and vengeful God? I'm actually taking on me made in God's image to this world of being gracious, generous, and forgiving. How we answer this carries deep, deep implications for the gospel in my life and the world. If I'm making God in my image, then I've never truly experienced the transformational power of the gospel. Instead, I've been trying to transform it to fit my life and my perspective and how I think the world should interact with it. If I'm making God in my image, then I'm simply using religion to be cruel to those around me by enslaving them to expectation, practices, and standards that God never intended. But if God is making me into his image, then the gospel is freedom and power in my life. And it's freedom that I have to share with other people. I can walk in confidence knowing that as I actively reflect God to those around me, life will be created, hope will be experienced, and salvation will be will be shared. Which God are you representing? The one who created you or the one that you created? The one we created is empty and leads to death. But the one who created us is bigger than we can ever imagine. He has more for us than we can ever handle. And he has love and his grace is for everyone, no matter where we sit in this room today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? we have a chance to close just with a song that helps us remember that god is not created in our image but we are created in his we take just a few moments as we listen to this song or as you sing this song or we just have a a time of where you thought think and process some of what we talked about just to answer that simple question which god have i been portraying to people This vengeful, angry, hostile God who's out to judge and manipulate us. This beautiful, gracious, loving God who is generous and forgiving. Father, you are... uh, I'm just grateful you're not the God that I could create. Because God, that, that God is flawed and empty and leads to destruction and it's broken because I'm broken God today would you help us to be a portrayal of who you are who you are making us to be let us stop today trying to create you in our image and allow you to have the freedom to fully create yourself in our lives to reflect you to this entire world to reflect your forgiveness your grace and your generosity God help us to understand just how big you are in our lives how much we have to share with other people.